Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If the teachings and audios you find here at BethEmmanuel.org are a blessing to you, please consider supporting Beth Emanuel with a gift, or become a member of our virtual congregation by becoming a regular contributor. To learn how to contribute, click on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. But over these first 40 days of the Omer, uh, it's my custom, ordinarily, to recite stories of the risen Messiah, those appearances that he made to his disciples during the first 40 days. And so I like to, in some, at least some way, tangentially uh, be touching on the idea of the resurrected Messiah among us and the new life that he offers. And so today I thought we would look at this well-known, well-known, um, frequently taught text from Matthew chapter 28, the end of Matthew chapter 28. So if you could turn there. Um, and as you turn, as you do turn to Matthew 28, let me ask, let me ask you this, and especially you gentlemen, you know, if, if it's, um, I, I, no, I, no disrespect to the girls. I just don't, I don't know about girls. But when, but, but gentlemen, when you were little boys, do you remember dreaming about what you would be when you grow up? Because for me, I was going to be, uh, I couldn't decide. I was split. I had a, it was like I could go with the fireman or the engineer. And I mean like the engineer that drives a train. I, I thought one of these career choices, you know, I just, I couldn't, you know, and maybe for some of you, you were going to be a professional ball player or, or maybe a, an astronaut or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but most little boys don't say to themselves, when I grow up, I want to be an accountant, you know, or, or something like that. Uh, instead, there's something else that is planted in the heart of men. Uh, and, and I'm speaking, speaking to you men right now, because again, I just don't know what it's like to be a little girl, although I've had the privilege of helping my wife raise one. Uh, but, but there's something else in the heart of men, and you might call it the adventurer, the adventurer that is in the heart of the man. I mean, you kind of look at the stories that boys like, that boys read. Uh, boy stories are hero stories. There's always got to be a warrior or a fighter or an adventurer, or a discoverer, a guy who has to do battle perhaps with the forces of evil. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, he's got to do against incredible odds in order to save the day uh, or, or to save the girl perhaps. And he's brave and he faces all these dangers down and there's narrow escapes and there's epic contests and so forth and so forth. And so you can ask, you know, the old age-old question, what are little boys made of? What are little boys made of? Snips and snails and puppy dog tails and such are little boys made of. And in the heart of every boy, this is what he desires, not the snips and snails so much, but like John Eldridge writes in his book, Wild at Heart, he says, Adventure, with all its requisite dangers and wildness, a deeply spiritual longing written into the soul of man. Capes and swords, camouflage, bandanas, six-shooters, these are the uniforms of boyhood. Little boys yearn to know that they are powerful. They are dangerous. 
they are someone to be reckoned with. How many parents have tried in vain to prevent little Timmy from playing with guns? Give it up. If you do not supply a boy with weapons, he will make them from whatever materials are at hand. Eldridge writes, my boys chew their graham crackers into gun shapes. Every stick or fallen branch is a spear, or better, a bazooka. (laughs) Little girls, on the other hand, do not invent games where large numbers of people die, (laughs) where bloodshed is a prerequisite for having fun. Hockey, for example, was not a feminine creation, nor was boxing. A boy wants to attack something, and so does a man, even if it is only a little white ball on a tee, he wants to whack it into kingdom come. On the other hand, boys do not sit down to tea parties. They do not call their friends on the phone to talk about relationships. They grow bored of games that have no element of danger or competition or bloodshed. And he goes on for quite a while like this. Um, but I think you get, I think you get the point. Another thing that boys long for is a sense of significance, that we matter, that we have a contribution, a critical contribution, you know, that like without us, <laughs> the, the world would perhaps collapse. In, in other words, that it, it's important to the man to feel that he's important, and not just important, but vital, uh, a vital component of the process, a contributor to something bigger than himself. That people should respect us because, you know, we're something special. This is, this is, men, men feel this way. It's a, it's like a deep masculine need. So, that's why I asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And how did that work out for you? Now, on the other hand, of course, you've got little girls. And I don't know what you wanted to be when you grew up. Uh, I know what you're made of. Sugar, spice, everything nice. And I suspect, I suspect when you were little, and I don't know, I'm just kind of guessing here, you got to give me a little grace, because um, I'm shooting in the dark, so to speak, but I suspect you wanted, uh, even if you couldn't quite put your finger on it and explain what it was, that you wanted to be cherished, and to be honored, and to be respected, and perhaps even adored by one of those nasty little snips and snails and puppy dog tails. Now, I, I, I don't want to presume, but I suspect that little girls don't ache for adventure the way that little boys do. They don't have that warrior heart. They play house. They play with... I had sisters, you know, they play with dolls. They pretend to be doing domestic tasks. I'm just speaking in generalizations, and I realize that, uh, you know, we live in a culture where those kinds of generalizations are, are generally considered sexist, but they're not. It's just that God hardwired women differently than men, and a woman longs for relationship and intimacy and security and to know and to be known this kind of soulish heart-to-heart to be cared for and to nurture and care for Something like sweeping romance. It's a different set of stuff. 
And I think, and I'm guessing, but I think that there is a loneliness in a woman's soul that seeks to be filled with connection, with relationship, with other. And I think that a woman seeks affirmation in a relationship that will not cut her dignity out from under her, but will sustain her and carry her regardless of circumstances, I think. And I want to offer you today, boys and girls, I want to offer you the opportunity to make all your dreams come true. I want to offer the little boys a life of adventure and heroism that your soul craves. And I want to offer all the little girls that intimacy, fidelity, security, and sweeping romance that your soul craves. And I'm talking about discipleship the greatest adventure, and the most intimate of relationships. In any case, we read here in Matthew 28, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Yeshua had directed them. Eleven. Why eleven? Because Judas is no longer with him, the traitor. They are the remainder, those that remain. And when they saw him, this is the resurrected Messiah, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Yeshua came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This passage, you're familiar with, I hope, is called The Great Commission. And I have, you know, many times in my teachings, cynically referred to it as The Great Omission on the basis that we find here four imperatives, only two of which the historical church has really done a good job of keeping. Imperative one is go. Imperative two is make disciples of all nations. Imperative three is baptizing them. And imperative four is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, the church has, this is my joke, you know, the great omission, because the church, we've done a very good job with go, we've brought the gospel to all nations, and we've done a very good job with baptizing them, however we define that. But we haven't done such a terrific job of make disciples of all nations, because that means something. It doesn't mean believers, and it doesn't mean converts. To make disciples of all nations, we've not done a good job of that. We have not done a good job of teaching people to observe everything that the Master commanded us. And in fact, we haven't really done a good job of that, our, you know, observing everything the Master commanded us ourselves. I don't feel as if, you know, in this pulpit here, as if I have done a good job of selling discipleship the concept of communicating discipleship. And yet I feel as I study the Gospels that this is the central concept, at least our place, our role. But discipleship is something lost. And I don't know if anyone really understands what it is anymore. It used to be, in the early days of our faith, that all believers in Yeshua were called disciples. And that was just one of the names of our sect, was tell me they... Yeshua, the disciples of Jesus. That's what it meant, in fact, to be 
baptized. We'll be talking about baptism a little bit more. Today we're learning the, uh, in the afternoon classes, we're learning the sacraments. So in those days to be baptized into the name of Yeshua meant to join his school of disciples. So in other words, if you were a Christian, you were also a disciple. And a disciple, a Talmud, is a learner, a student, a full-time student. And from a Jewish perspective, discipleship is a calling to study Torah underneath a rabbi, a sage, a teacher. It's a teacher-student relationship. And as our master proclaimed the gospel, he always did so with an eye towards discipleship. He, this is what he was communicating to his, his followers. He wasn't doing proselytism. He wasn't trying to make converts. He was trying to win students. And his call, follow me, when he'd say, follow me, this was a call to leave what you're doing, put down what you're doing, whatever you're doing in your life, set that aside, and literally follow me, and we're going to learn Torah together. We're going to be together. He called 12 that they would be with him. It was an apprenticeship. That's the best way to look at it. An apprenticeship to a sage. Just like if you were to apprentice yourself to, um, to a blacksmith, you would go live with the blacksmith, and he would teach you all the tricks of the trade of how to run a forge and an anvil and everything. And you would actually be his assistant and his servant until one day he sent you out to start your own blacksmith shop. Discipleship worked the same way. You were an apprentice to a sage until one day he sent you out and you found that you were the sage. It involved, I, this is a typical Lancaster teaching, but it involved four main jobs. What are they? Learn your teacher's words. That's memorization. Straight up memorization. We memorize the words of Jesus. We, number two, to learn his traditions. That's halakhic. We learn, in other words, how he interpreted scripture, how he interpreted the Bible, and how he lived it out. We learn these things. That's number two. And then, and then, of course, we do them. Which is number three, was to imitate the teacher. You learn, you learn to conduct yourself in the same manner as the teacher. So you become a little replica of the sage that you're a disciple of. And then number four, once you've mastered one, two, and three, you're ready for number four. Number four is graduation day when you go out and make disciples yourself. And he sends his disciples out. As we see, it's graduation day up in the Galilee on the mountain when he appeared to them. And he said, go, make disciples. It's the commencement ceremony after three years of full-time discipleship. So in the Gospels, our master's busy with this kind of evangelism. Raising disciples. And this is the charge that he gives them. He gives to us. It's our job too. All three of these things and then the fourth. So, I have two goals here today. I want to communicate to you a desire to be a disciple. And a desire to make disciples. And in addition... I also want to make sure you understand what that means. 
Because discipleship is not just academic. It's not just sitting and learning and sitting and learning and sitting and learning. But discipleship is doing. It is radical obedience. And there's, I want to give you two stories to illustrate this. Uh, and this comes from the, the people who practice discipleship the best are Hasidim. Because the Hasidim have this radical dedication to the Rebbe, to whoever their Rebbe is, to the Tzaddik. And so they, they're, they're the only part of Judaism really where you see this model is still being practiced as it was in the days of the Master. So here's a story. Uh, a Hasid goes to his Rebbe and he says, Rebbe, uh, my son is uh, headed to, uh, to America um, on, on this ship that's leaving tonight. Would you give us a bracha? Would you give, give us a blessing? And the Rebbe says... I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go to America. One of the guys says, well, he's going. He's got the ticket. So he, the, the, the ship leaves and it sinks. Sinks in the middle of the ocean. His son dies. The man comes back to the Rebbe. He says, Rebbe, you knew what was going to happen. Why, did you, why didn't you tell me the ship was going to sink? And the Rebbe said, did I know the ship was going to sink? I didn't know the ship was going to sink. But I know that a chassid does what his Rebbe says. And I said, I wouldn't do that. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about, radical obedience, radical uh, dedication to the word of a master. Uh, a second story. This is a second story. This is more recent. This is from the Vietnam era. A very famous story of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Uh, a young man in New York uh, gets drafted. He gets his draft letter. And he's, he's off to Vietnam. And his wife says, go, please go see the Lubavitcher Rebbe first and get a baraka. Get a blessing from him before you go to Vietnam. So he says, okay, I'll go see the Rebbe. Goes in and sees the Rebbe. And the Rebbe sa- he, he says, you know, I'm going, I have to go overseas. I'm going to war. Would you give me a blessing? He says, ah, oh, I'll give you a blessing. But there's one thing I want you to promise me. He says, okay, what is it? He says, always do natila yadayim before you eat bread. That's like, always wash your hands before you eat bread. You know, it's the hand washing. He's like, okay. (laughs) I'll always wash my hands before I eat bread. So he goes over to Vietnam. He's in, he's in Vietnam and his, uh, his company sits down to, to have a meal one day and he, he's like, there's no water. They have no water. So he has to walk 50, he 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 backtracks 15 minutes back to the stream they crossed in order to wash his hands before he eats bread because he promised the Lubavitcher Rebbe he returns and he finds his company was slaughtered in his absence. And he thanks God for the mitzvah of washing his hands, but more so for the word of his Rebbe. So you do what your Rebbe tells you to do as a matter of faith that through him, God is speaking. That's how the Hasidim view it, and that's how the disciples of Yeshua viewed it. That through him, it's not just his advice, like, oh, that's, uh, you know, that's Yeshua's opinion, but rather, this is the voice of God speaking to you. A disciple who does not do what his master says is no disciple. So our master says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Discipleship without without obedience is dead. And there's a mission here. This comes with the mission. It's, It's the mission to proclaim the kingdom and make more disciples for our master. 
As they were going along the road once, someone came up to him and said, I will follow you wherever you go. And he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another one came up and said, he, and, and he said to him, you follow me. And the man said, Lord, first let me go and take care of some business and bury my father. And the master said, let the dead bury the dead. As for you, you come and proclaim the kingdom. And another one said, I will follow you. The master, but, but first let me go and say farewell to my family. And the master said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the work of the kingdom. Discipleship comes with the very high cost. It's like a guy was going to build a tower. But before he built, he, he started to build, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't do the necessary preparations. And so he started to build the tower and he ran out of money. And the tower was half built and it became a monument to his failure. So the master says, before you build the tower, sit down and figure out the cost. Discipleship is the same way. Discipleship comes as an adventure. It's, Paul says it this way. Here's Paul's description of being a disciple. Imprisonments. Countless beatings. Often near death. Five times I received 40 lashes. Minus one. Three times beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I spent adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from river, rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, toil, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, without food, cold, exposure. And apart from all the other things, there's the daily anxiety that I have for all the churches. This is discipleship. It's a world of danger. It's a world of intrigue. Facing off with malevolent spiritual beings. Demons that plot against and haunt you. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil. What kind of life is this? What kind of dream is this? What would you call it? To have one foot in Eden and one foot in hell. To be always numb, plagued by demons, summoned by angels. At the same time, endlessly. To be at war for the kingdom of heaven. Battling for the hearts and souls of human beings. That's what little boys are made of. And part of this is making disciples, and I want to be straight with you. Here's a, here I am. I'm standing up here right now, and I am like that, you know, armed forces recruiter that came to your high school when you were a senior. And I have a message for you. We're looking for a few good men. Yes. Now, get an edge on life. Be all that you can be. Aim high. Cross into the blue. Be an army of one. Being a disciple is the simplest thing in the world and the most difficult. Simple because all you have to do 
is obey your teacher. Those of you who have some military experience know what I'm talking about. You don't have to think. <laughs> you, know, you don't get paid to think here, boy. <laughs> you just obey. You do as he tells you. Because the whole, the whole package is delivered to you. But it's also the most difficult thing in the world, isn't it? Because your whole being is trying to stop you from doing that. I have not, you know, I have not done a good job of communicating this sense of identity, much less living the identity out myself, but we'll leave that aside. Yeshua calls us to follow after him and to make disciples. It's that simple. And there, my friends, my my friends, little boys, there is a sense of significance for you, a sense of importance to be a hero part of something bigger than yourself. What are you? What do you do? What do you do for a living? I'm a disciple of the Holy Tzaddik from Nazareth. That's cool. Get a business card that says disciple. You know, carry one in your wallet. A business card that says Talmud, disciple. Remind yourself. Paste it on your forehead. Strap it on your arm. And discipleship isn't just for boys. It's not just for boys. I haven't left the girls out. The Master called women to follow Him too, yes? yes? And the women were called Talmidot, which means disciples. Now, ladies, you might be thinking, I don't know, that adventure stuff, you know, sleepless nights and all that freezing and getting shipwrecked. Maybe that doesn't resonate with you so much. But what we're really talking about With discipleship, we're talking about a relationship, a deep and committed relationship, a heart-to-heart relationship in which we adore and are adored. And we remain in His love, and His love remains in us. And in that love, we learn to love, to love our neighbor and our fellow creatures, to love the people we love, which is a difficult thing to learn, isn't it? To like the people we love. But we learn to love and, we learn, and people know this is how they know that we are disciples. Because we love. Discipleship offers a solution to the deepest yearning of the soul. The deepest yearning of the human heart is for love and for affirmation. That need to be needed, and to be someone special, to be someone's special someone. Because discipleship, real discipleship, devakut, clinging, this is how the Hasidim explain it. It's devakut, it's clinging, because it says in Genesis, therefore the man shall leave his father and mother and be devakt, he shall cling to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. He shall be, uh, devak uh, means glued. He shall be glued to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That means one being, one creature. So, so devakut is clinging, it's holding fast, holding on, you know, just like being glued to someone else. So there's this Hasidic principle of discipleship, 
that we've talked about before, although I think it's been a long, long time, but this, this principle of gluing. I like to use English. People understand it better. We'll call it, we'll call it gluing. The idea of gluing to one's Rebbe, of gluing to a tzaddik, to a righteous person, to, to become one with the, with this, your master, because you understand that your master uh, is glued to God. And so if you're glued to your master and he's glued to God, that makes you glued to God. That's how the, that's how the concept works. Paul teaches it. You, I mean, this isn't just Hasidic mumbo-jumbo. Paul teaches this. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, It is written, The two will become one flesh. But he who is glued to the Lord, to the Master, becomes one spirit with him. It's the same principle. So what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a disciple, first and foremost. And I want to make disciples. And I want to fulfill this commission. And I want to teach disciples what the Master has commanded us. Life could be so simple. And we have to reinforce each other on this mission and this identity. We have to constantly remind each other, hey, you're a disciple. You are a disciple. You, no, there's a different standard for you. I know, I know what people do. I know what the world is like. I live in the world. But it's different for us. It's different for you. Because you are a disciple. And we're in this fellowship then of the disciples, which was like the knights of the round table. You know what I mean? They were like the knights of the round table. They, 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 uh, they gathered around a table. <laughs> and it's called akdut, oneness, the fellowship of the oneness. There's something precious in this. Can we get behind it? Can we be passionate about this identity? Every day, we should, it should be, I get up in the morning and every day I want to know what can I learn today because I am a learner. I am a disciple. Can I review something? Can I review the words of my master today? I want to learn my teacher's words, his traditions and interpretations. I want to imitate his behavior and I want to raise up more disciples for him. Little boys, undertake this great adventure. And little girls, fall in love with this deepest romance. Take up my yoke. Follow me. Find rest for your souls. Shabbat Shalom.